Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Hey, Dan, I'm Mark Ginocchio. I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Nice to meet you, Mark. Nice to meet you as well. Well, thanks for joining us for a special Essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. This is number 28. Can you believe it? Oh, Mike. So what? We got two more? Two more. I don't even know what two are left. <laughs> <laughs> I had to spend some time this weekend uh, uh, going episode by episode to figure out what ones were left. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, and for this episode, as Dan mentioned, we'll be discussing the potential essential Spider-Man comic book of the week. We will be discussing my pick which is Best of Enemies, a.k.a. Spectacular Spider-Man number 200 by J.M. Demetrius and Sal Basema. And then we'll be reading your comments and emails, Dan. That sounds great, Mark. Well, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, you and I, we're best of friends, but we're also sometimes, and particularly on the topic of annuals, Best of Enemies. Dan, that that was a a great transition. That's so wonderful. Thank that's as nice always, you as said. always. Actually, no, it was terrible. I hate you. Let's fight to the death now. Oh, all right, let's do it. Ah, forget it. Why don't we just talk about this comic book? All right, that sounds like a fair uh, like middle ground. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, uh, best of enemies, spectacular Spider-Man two hundred uh, by JMD and Sal Buscema. I mean, I. I don't think I have to ask you why this isn't your isn't essential to you, but I'm going to just to make you go through this kind of tricky rigmarole. Why? Why is this essential to you? Well, I you know I, I appreciate you kind of giving me deference here, Dan. But it's, I don't know if it's that cut and dry because you know th- some things have happened um, in the last decade or so that have kind of rendered elements of this story moot, but. Um, in terms of why I picked it for um, this so, uh, for this series, and not just because I think this is one of the best Spider-Man comics ever written, um, but it for one, you know, two hundred spectacular two hundred culminates. It's the conclusion of this long-running arc that was running all throughout Spectacular Spider-Man uh, throughout the early '90s dealing with uh, Peter and Harriet. It started officially in uh, The Child Within, 
uh, was the name of the storyline. I think it was like around spectacular or like 174 or 176. Um, and then there was a, like that special hologram anniversary issue, which I think is actually your favorite storyline from the full arc, right? Yeah, I love that issue. Uh, probably because that was the first one I read with uh, like evil Harry in it. But I think that issue is like really twisted. Uh, yeah. The kind of dinner scene with like the molten man and Liz and yeah, and they everybody. all have the yeah. It's it's it's. I mean, this is you know, Jan Demetrius. He is. I mean, obviously the the big dark twisted story that he wrote was Craven's Last Hunt. But I mean, this is certainly right up there in terms of dark and twistedness. I mean, that was kind of JMD's forte uh, during his run on on Spectacular and just Spider Man in general. Even when he was writing Amazing in the in in during like the Clone Saga, that he was kind of the the dark the dark writer. Um, Not to mention Sal Buscema's like the goblin is like super Joker-esque and twisted and freaky. Yeah. And this was before Buscema got like, I feel too deep into the 90s, you know, 90s fight. You know what I mean? Like he still he had a distinct style, but it wasn't, I think, over too loose. You know, there was still some tightness to what he was drawing. I think he got too loose as the 90s went along. But yeah, so. It's it's this you know it was a long running storyline. This is kind of like the final chapter. I mean, at this point, it's it's the death of Harry Osborn, and that's in terms of what's been rendered moot. I mean, that's obviously he's he's alive and well as Harry Lyman now in the comics. But regardless of that, um, I do feel this is like the quintessential Peter Parker Harry Osborn story. I mean, you know, we we've kind of just always accepted the fact that Peter and Harry are friends and sometimes enemies. Uh, when Harry has one of his like psychotic breaks and becomes the Green Goblin. But I really feel uh, this full storyline and then culminating in this chapter really accentuates their friendship and and the turmoil that comes from, the, you know, Peter being Spider-Man and Harry being Goblin. You know, the rawness of that, the emotion of that. I, I cannot think of a single story that captures a, a personal relationship that Peter has with both a friend and an enemy any better than this one does. I think it's a, also a quintessential Spider-Man Goblin story. I mean, you know, obviously the 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 big spe- Spider-Man Goblin story is one you know death of Gwen Stacy, night Gwen Stacy died, um, and you know, kind of the the impetus of that whole thing is the fact that Norman Osborn knew Peter's identity, but um, even though he personally went after Peter in that story by by kidnapping and then killing Gwen, um, here it. it in in this in spectacular 200 i feel like it's even more personalized because you know harry knows peter is spider-man and there's just you know we'll talk about it when we talk about the issue itself there's all these little scenes within where like harry is just like taunting peter with this idea of i can just destroy you whenever and you wouldn't even know you know (laughs) like it's just like and like to have an enemy just get that close to peter uh, again, e- even with Norman, I don't think we've ever seen quite that level of of imminent danger around every corner in a, in a Spider-Man comic. Uh, it, it really makes this just a tension that that you just don't see elsewhere. And then, you know, I, I've I've raised this point on Chasing Amazing and on Superior Spider Talk before, Dan. You know. Um, we talk about different themes from Spider-Man comics, and of course, the big one is always power and responsibility. And 
I think that there are fans that um, if you don't say that power and responsibility is the end all be all of themes, that there's something wrong with you and, you know, you need to, you know, get your head checked. But uh, <laughs> I do think there are other themes to be gl- glommed off from from Spider-Man. And one of them is this idea of um, Peter's basic inability to have functional relationships with 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 family and friends and loved ones because of the fact that he's spider-man and this this story really punctuates that um he, he, you know his best friend is his art is arch nemesis in this storyline um so again can't really find a better example of that to me in in the spider-man comics so beyond this, the fact that I love this storyline, I, I, I do think this captures a lot of critical, essential parts of who Peter is, who Spider-Man is, um, and, you know, even putting aside what has kind of been undone by uh, it in recent years. Um, so that's kind of my long-form rigam- rigmarole. I don't know what you think about this, Dan, besides the fact I know you like it, but I don't know, do, do, do you share in that essentialness idea? Yeah, you know, I, I before before we reread this for this week, you know, I always thought you know fondly on this comic, and I had read it a number of times, but it had been a few years for me. And rereading this, I guess, especially in the light of this new Goblin story we're going through right now, which I, I'm liking so far. Um, I mean, man, this thing really uh, hit me hard, harder than I think it has when I've read it previously. And I don't know if my life has changed in some ways that made it more uh, effective for me th- this time. But um, I was really struck by, and, and you kind of mentioned this, the, the idea that, like Peter can't really have um, a functional relationship with his friends and family because of his uh, costume. But this book does something that I think very few Spider-Man books do with its villains, which is kind of treat them with... Uh, a compassionate lens. Um, mm. I mean, certainly Harry is like messed up. Um, but Dematis really like, uh, um, finds a way to oscillate him between this kind of fear and compassion and, and the understanding that he's actually mentally ill instead of kind of this cartoonish mental illness that so many villains are often cast with. Like he seems legitimately sick. Yeah, and and it's very real and raw the sickness in this to me. Yeah, there's a scene where he, you know, kidnaps MJ and takes her to what is either the Brooklyn or George Washington Bridge. <laughs> it looks like Brooklyn. It does look like Brooklyn. <laughs> um and I think they call it the Brooklyn Bridge in in this comic. Okay. Um and of course you're thinking, you know, oh god, he's going to, you know, try to recreate this scene with MJ, but he is just so unaware of what he's doing. He just kind of like wanted to have her, you know, to himself and alone to talk with her without even really realizing what he, you know, the kind of imagery that he was invoking. You know what I mean? I mean, it it seems a little bizarre that he would do that, but, you know, I'm willing to kind of like allow it the poetic license. And instead of being a maniac on the top of the bridge, he like starts having this conversation with her about, you know, like his legitimate fears over of the danger that Peter poses to, I guess, in his own eyes, to his friends and family. And you can kind of sympathize with him in this moment, but you're also like terrified because if MJ just says one thing wrong, 
you know, he could throw her off the side of the bridge. Um, and that's a great dramatic moment. I mean, what, what a, what a crazy scene. Uh, I wish I had been reading this book as it was being published. Yeah. Um, and I was, this was actually like when I started like really, really, yeah, I mean, I had started buying Spider-Man comics in the late eighties, but you know, it was around the time that this had come out. Cause I remember buying this off the wall at, you know, the, the, the baseball card slash comic book shop that I got a lot of like my clone saga books at. I mean, I, I, you know, like this was kind of right in the heart of all that. Um, and I just remember I didn't have a ton of context cause I had not read a lot of child within initially that preceded this. And then I had not read a lot of the Jerry Conway stuff that, you know, when we interviewed JMD back, Way, way back in the day in 2013, if you can believe it. Uh, <laughs> we are over four years old now, Mark. I know. It's crazy. Um, you know, he had mentioned that the the Jerry Conway, Ross Andrew story from the 70s, you know, when 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 Harry first becomes the goblin was kind of a, a, a jumping on point for JMD in terms of weaving this whole epic. Um, but still, like just just the the. You know, there's 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 two two elements of this. I mean, you know, you just alluded to it, and I said it in the intro. The idea of the the just that danger that's on every single page of this comic, because you know, again, not only is Harry sick, and you don't know when he might snap, but um, he just he can get at Peter so many different ways. Like there's there there is no way out for Peter. And like there are all these scenes and sequences in this book where like, you know, it's not even that Peter is scared or 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 terrified or anything like that. He's just like so angry and frustrated. It's like it's just palatable because he knows he's got no way out. It's either he gives in to his anger and and, you know, beats the living crap out of his best friend or he keeps playing this game and finding himself painted into a corner and it, he, he cannot win. There's no way to win. Like it's one of the few times where, and you know, I don't know if you do this, Dan, when like there'll be times I'll be watching a movie uh, or a TV show where like the, the tension is just so fraught between two characters where you just, even without, you know, with no spoilers or anything, you just say to yourself, the only way that this story can end is if one of these characters dies. Yeah. Like there's no way, there's just no way out. You know what I mean? Like this cannot sustain. And that's what what JMD and Basema managed to do in this comic. And and I just can't think. Of, I mean, probably the only time it comes close is Amazing Spider-Man 122 after when it's Peter and Norman, when you just know that like and it's not even that like 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 with with this, you can almost question, would they do something to Peter? Because would he go against his friend where at least with asm 122 you knew norman was gone you know like one way or another norman wasn't making it out of that storyline after killing gwen um but this you just didn't know but you just but at the same token you knew something had to give well that's the thing about this you say like you know like they both are at like an impasse right there's no way forward and going not to go back to the bridge scene but like the whole time I, I was reading that, I was thinking, if Spider-Man showed up here, 
she would be dead. Like, it, he, just his inclusion in a scene would spell doom for someone. You know what I mean? Like, these two people are so larger than life. Like, when they, when they don their costumes, they become – they're not people anymore. Like, they are, like, outside superhero, supervillain, whatever. They're, like, these, like, titans of emotion and, and anger and pent-up energy, you know, uh, it – like Peter even like snaps at people in this. Like he's really tense. You can tell because like everything is just so bad for him. And he knows that like this isn't sustainable, but they're both like Harry and Peter are both at like kind of their worst places, you know, like they're both, you know, at wits end, just reacting raw to everything. And when that happens with people with their power, uh, like against each other, like, there's going to be people caught in the wake of that. And that's what makes it really scary. And I think, you know, and I know you won't disagree with me on this, that one of the things that really adds to the emotional fraughtness of the book is, is Basema's art. Um, because like, I mean, he does, you know, we get like kind of like these nine panel type pages where you see, like, I, I notice it more so with Harry where, you know, Harry without his mask on has this like stoic, almost vacant look on his face. And then he just puts on that awful goblin mask, which you say looks like, you know, the Joker at his like, you know, Neil Adams peak in the set, you know, like that late 70s psychotic Joker. Yeah, from, <laughs> yeah from, no, from, right? that's you know, dead on. You know, and, and like the juxtaposition of Harry and, the goblin, you know, again, I, you know, I love how you just put it in terms of like, you know, when, once these people put on the costumes, they're not, they're not themselves anymore. They're just, they're just, they're arc. I don't even know what they're like archetypes or whatever, but yeah, like going from Harry to the goblin, just the artistic transition of, of the two faces. It's stunning. Like it's just, and it's just so unsettling, like so unsettling. And, like this is a hard comic to read. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and I think I think it's rooted in the kind of real emotion of this story and, and the way that Harry Osborn character has been developed over the years. Like it's that kind of classic male villain role where like the person who has been persecuted their entire lives is now taking it out on everyone around them now that they have power. Um, but like he oscillates between like abused son and like a uh, revenge crazed maniac every other panel, you know? Um, and he really has to be, you know, in a power position. Anybody that questions his power, like lives for a second, like, you know, qu questions him and he immediately becomes like this, like male revenge character, you know? Uh, uh, I think it's kind of an archetype, but it's done really well here. Um, uh, like this, this kind of like releasing rage on anyone who threatens him, you know, keeping his wife in fear and she has to stay with him for the child, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, there's so much to unpack with, with that character. Yeah. I don't even think you get this level of mania with Norman at any point. I mean, maybe since, um, but I, I guess like preceding this issue, I mean, you know, cause I just don't think comics at that point would allow it, you know, like it just, you, you just, you just didn't get that level of characterization. 
Yeah, and Norman uh, was more of a like a, a steady on-off switch. Like he only went off because he lost his memory, and then he would come back and be a you know a loon. But I don't think he, yet he was never he never seemed as angry either. Like he was just kind of a guy who was just toying around with things in in a in a quest for power and a way to kind of emotionally manipulate people. But I don't think he was ever so angry. Yeah. And just quietly angry, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, right. like, like I said, those panels of just Harry looking like a, like almost like a zombie. It's it, just, it's almost scarier than the, than the goblin. Maybe it is scarier than the goblin. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the, the beauty of this. And, and you know, just to give a little more context for what, what kind of preceded this between Peter and Harry. I mean, the kind of the the thrust of the child within, which is like what started the kind of this Peter and Harry saga was, you know, that storyline looked at, at uh, the childhoods of Peter and Harry kind of comparing and contrasting how their own individual traumas made them damaged. I mean, that's kind of the, the upshot of that storyline. You know, with Peter, it was... Um, being an orphan and being raised by his aunt and uncle and that feeling of abandonment. And then with Harry, it was, you know, losing, losing his mother and having this overbearing, horrible human being as his father who abused him emotionally. Um, and kind of how them, them becoming these costume heroes was both an escape, but also, um, an embodiment of that pain and abandonment and, and anguish. Um, so like to kind of pay all that off that slow drip of, you know, both of these characters in their own ways breaking down. Cause Peter, Peter is not well either, either in this story or just like in the stories leading up to this. I mean, some people actually kind of critique, the the Demetrius era, you know this, and then kind of following up when he was writing ASM as being like just too dour for Spider Man, like Spider, you know, it was really like Batman Spider Man, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's kind of admitted as such uh, in in like our interview with him, like you know, Craven's Last Hunt was a Batman story, you know, like yeah, and this was a Batman story too, right. apparently this was going to be a um, this being Harry and and Peter. I think he was originally workshopping it as a Batman Two-Face story. Oh, interesting. I could totally see uh, that. Yeah, which is kind of like what All-Star Batman was in that through its first arc. Wasn't that like about like the childhoods of um Yeah, it was. It Bruce was. And, and Harvey Dent. So <laughs> Have you read that yet? I have. Uh, I have. I, I, re- awesome. I read through the first I haven't read the the Mr. Freeze arc yet. It's it's not as good, but but that right. first All-Star Batman is rock solid. Yeah. So there you go. I don't know if Snyder was trying to kind of fulfill what JMD did or not, but um, it's just an interesting little little wrinkle there. Mark, one of the things that I noticed reading this and, you know, I I feel like I notice this every time I go back and read older Spider-Man issues is the kind of the use of thought balloons and how much I miss thought balloons. I know that Marvel got rid of thought balloons because they were becoming kind of like a crutch for creators. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not something we've really ever talked about on the show, but like, I feel like Spider-Man has never been the same since Thought Balloons went away, and I feel like Thought Balloons allowed the writers to kind of really 
write a lot of thoughts into Peter's head instead of the kind of the small blocks we get now. Um, right. And I, I, in my mind, that was one of the most in, endearing parts about Peter is that he would so often be in his head and you would get to read all of his thoughts about how he was working through things and what he thought about people and his current situations. And I wonder if Spider-Man has never really been the same since Marvel got rid of thought balloons. What are your thoughts on that? Um, what's my thought balloon on thought balloons? Yeah, no, uh, exactly. <laughs> no I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, I, it's funny, not until you raised it the way you just did, I did I really think about it in this level of detail. But in terms of what you're describing, I mean, you know, I could see why where Marvel's logic is and getting rid of them kind of, you know, but but it, it may not work unilaterally because I think of of all their stable of superheroes. I mean, Peter is probably the most introspective into, you know, about and like you said, he is constantly in his head. It's an essential part of the character. I mean, you know, his whole reason for being is is him trying to absolve guilt and 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 remorse for for him for a personal mistake that he made so like you want to you kind of need to be in that character's head um and, and you need to get as far into that character's head as you can sometimes to understand where he's coming from um so yeah i i, I agree i mean it, it's it you know we sometimes critique when we don't even feel like we're getting any inner monologue but you know maybe if we still had some use of thought balloons, maybe we get a little more than we get now. Yeah. I feel like some writers do a better job of balancing the lack of thought balloons. Like I think Straczynski still had a ton of inner monologue. Um, it wasn't yes. quite as lengthy as JMD's and JMD does tend to, you know, pile it on. I mean, the guy writes these very poetic thoughts and, and ideas into people's brains. Um, and I think that's like a lot of why people like him. Um, I haven't been reading his like justice league stuff that he's been doing for DC, but, um, I mean, his Spider-Man stands out, especially with me rereading this, you know, I, I really enjoyed getting into his head about what he thought about Harry. And I, I can't imagine a book today spending that much time in Spider-Man's head. Um, uh, and not even because of a writer, but morely because, more because, you know, uh, Marvel doesn't really do that kind of writing anymore. Yeah. And again, I don't know beyond Spider-Man who who from their big their big big heroes you need to get into the head of, you know what I mean? Maybe Cap, but certainly not Iron Man or Thor or or Hulk. Yeah. Uh, you know, or at least not the way they're currently being written. Yeah, um, I think those books still work quite well um, today. Um, yeah, it's just something to think about because uh, – not not to make bad puns and everything like that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I Just rereading this I, 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 and I don't – maybe it's because it was just JMD and, and he you, likes to use them. Um, but I, I really thought, wow, you know, this is something that's really sorely lacking um, beyond my typical complaints uh, from the book. And – Maybe this is me like being nostalgic for something that was probably more annoying like back in the day than than I realized because I'm just not experiencing it now. But um, I don't know. It, 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 like 
it hit me with this wave of nostalgia that I was not prepared for. Yeah. No, that's a good that's a good pickup. Um You want to talk about this final confrontation or at least some of the confrontations between Peter and Harry in this because they are really interesting. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I mean this is kind of what it's all about at the end of the day, you know what I mean? It, it's it's you know, it's it's sacri- it's it's drama, it's tension, it's sacrifice, it's it's sadness. Um I mean, where do you, where do you even where do you even begin? I guess you know what I mean. Like what's I mean what what's oh, what what sticks in your craw? What sticks in your craw when it comes to how this book ends? I just it's so rare that um, the history of characters that have been around for that long can be leveraged like this well to tell an excellent story. You know, like like to my, in my mind, this is how you do long game. You mm. know, like. It's not that it was your plan. It's just that it makes sense for the characters, you know. Um, and what's, what's so dramatic about this fight is like, yes, they punch each other a bunch, but it's not the punches that are interesting. It's the like dialogue between the two. And I can't think of like a battle between Spider-Man and an adversary in recent memory. Maybe Superior Spider-Man number nine that has like as good of like a dialogue scene going on between Spider-Man and a villain. Like it's like a good Tarantino movie, you know, like uh, there's just these two people just pouring their hearts out. Well, you know, and, and the punches are just like, uh, it's like a musical, right? The punches are the, are the music that, that interrupts the, you know, are, are, uh, um, emphasizes the emotion you know, but the dialogue yeah. is really the king here. Yeah, the dialogue is carrying it. The punches, it's just, you know, like it just the dialogue alone can't sustain it. So you need something else to kind of accentuate it. But but absolutely. I mean, it's 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 like this ongoing commentary. And I guess you could almost, you know, well, you have to suspend disbelief that two characters while beating the crap out of each other would be having a conversation. Uh, but but that's. I mean, it's comics and it works here, you know, like like you you, you want to see this history. And it, and it's, you know, it's about more than just Peter and Harry. It's it's I mean, there's so many different relationships and dynamics um, at stake here during this confrontation. It's it's Peter and Harry, but it's also Harry and Norman and Peter and Norman and Harry and MJ and Peter and Liz and Peter and MJ and and, you know, be, like you said, because they lean on so much history and and really do. I mean, you know, it's funny. I'm I'm I was almost about to say something where I felt like I criticized um, that Omega clone conspiracy issue for doing doing, which was that you know, it kind of almost kind of relies on the reader having being well versed in these histories but the same token there's enough contained within this issue alone where even if you didn't know all these stories because you know like i said when i first read this in the 90s i didn't know all the stories but i still got that this was a big deal that these characters were going through this together well this is also the end of a simmering storyline that's specifically about the green goblin and spider-man whereas that story you know the omega conclusion it's a good conclusion, but we never got a rhino, a rhino story. story unless you had been reading for like what? Almost 200 issues, 
uh, right. prior. Yeah. Um, that's that's the long game, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's talk. Let's talk about the very end of the story because it's really special. Do you want to do you want to tell everybody about why you think it's so special? Because I know you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's almost I don't want to say a cliche, but it it, it just it, it tugs on heartstrings and and not just heartstrings, but it, it hits this level of both redemption and sadness that you know it's easy to look back on in retrospect and be like oh yeah of course that's where they went with it but again like in the moment it just hits those notes so right i mean basically you know harry has peter dead to rights the you know like the 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 building is about to explode and with peter trapped inside um and um and, and MJ and Norm and Normie too, right? Isn't yeah, that it's yeah, it's all Normie three of them, still right? In there, yeah. You know, Peter is just kind of like Harry. You know, like Harry, whatever, whatever between you and me, but get MJ and Normie out of here. And Harry kind of has this this revelation, and he gets them out, and he's like ready to be like, okay, I, I'm I'm the hero, and even MJ is just like, what about Peter? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, oh crap! <laughs> so he goes, he goes back in, pulls Peter out before the building's ready to explode. And because Harry, I guess they're they're the way it's explained, it's not a hundred percent clear, but I've always understood it as you know he had taken the the you know Norman's goblin serum, and and it was he was having an adverse reaction to that. So that kind of um, in uh, in association with the this bomb going off in the building just is just like too traumatic for his body to withstand and he dies. Well, not, right? not, not to mention that he's also like perspiring for like right. the past 30 issues. Like the guy is clearly like his poor heart can barely take what like all of the energy that he's putting, you know, into his body. You know what I mean? Right. But it's, you know, he, he, he gets to be the hero, even though, I mean, you know the mess is his making, <laughs> um, but he does he 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 does the responsible thing. He uses his power responsibly, and it's just these last pages. There's no dialogue. It's it's just Peter. It's Peter as Spider Man, which I always thought was an interesting choice that he didn't like. I guess it's technically a public venue still, so he wouldn't take his mask off. But again, it's just like still this like very intimate moment between. Peter and Harry and the there's still a barrier up with Peter having the mask on, which I just always found interesting. Um, but but I think to reflect that, you know, like the minute Harry takes the mask off and is dying, like the way that Sal draws his face, like kind of the lines are work is like softened. Uh, yes. Like you can tell he's Harry Osborne again. And like is dying, you know, that kind of like weak, you know, kind of, uh, I, I don't know, feckless or whatever character that, that you've known over the years, you know, and it's just heartbreaking to see, you know, someone in his position be so twisted by what his father had done and, and dying the kind of like hero, but also kind of a weak, you know, in a weakened state, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of crushing. Yeah, I mean, clearly, and it kind of also punctuates the fact that 
as as twisted and sick as Harry was, he was never truly evil because like, you know, whereas like Norman and then later the Hobgoblin, they took the serum and, you know, became these, you know, very, you know, physically enhanced villains. It kills Harry, basically, you know, like he can't he can't handle it because that's he was not meant to handle it. You know, does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. It's just he, he, you know, he, he, he can't do it. He can't be that person. He can't be Norman. Um, Which is like, in essence, the problem between him and Norman from the very beginning. So it's just so sad. But and of course, you got like Normie crying and developing what will later be this very sadistic hatred for Spider-Man. <laughs> which, which can like never really pay off in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man because he's such a young character. Give it time, man. He might be the goblin eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's like it's up to every other like offshoot to like fulfill that story. Right, uh, right. Because they yeah, so def- don't want to age Peter up by aging Normie. Right. But yeah, DeFalco, I mean, DeFalco did it in Spider-Girl for the most part, although he kind of eventually backtracked on that, too. Anyway, yeah. So... That's Spectacular 200, Dan. You want to talk about um, our feelings about it now in the light of Peter, or not Peter, Harry coming back? You know, it's, it is, it is funny. I mean, it's like no one stays dead in comics, so you can't really get upset about it. And even, you know, again, when we talked to JMD, he wasn't upset about it. I think the, I think the only one of the resurrections that he felt a little askew about was Aunt May. Yeah. Um, because that was an absurd resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think his uh, response to us about Harry was like, it was a good story and it made sense. Yeah, and and it did. I, I mean, I wrote about it on Chasing some time ago. The 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 Dan Slot. Um, I forgot who did the art on that. Um, anyway, which one? Uh, on the on the brand new day story that explained Harry's what happened to Harry that he like went to Europe and oh, um, yeah. um was that Phil Jimenez? No, it wasn't Jimenez. Um, it was oh. anyway. That's this is great listening right now. Yeah, so we'll, absolutely great. Uh, <laughs> it was written by Dan Slott. I thought it was a well done story, um, and it was a well ex- explained rationale, especially in light of the, how they brought Norman back. It was kind of you know had parallels to that. You know, does it cheapen this? Yeah, but we can still look back and talk about this story, and I, I and talk about it in these glowing terms. It's this is no matter what they cannot take away just how JMD and Salvasema captured these two characters in this moment and and to me that that me, it, that rises above any retroactive continuity finagling yeah i i agree with you i although i do think like it is funny how accepting all of these characters are of you know harry and like nobody seems to shoot him a kind of like like you know uh, like 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 an eye, like a, they're not they're not skeptical of him. And if this was the guy that I was working with, and I knew of this in his past, I don't know that I'd ever be able to get over <laughs> over this. Right. But, uh, but I mean, whatever. It's comics, you know. And and I agree with you. I think 
he's been a great addition, and I like what they did with him in Brand New Day, where they had him like kind of directly, you know, proving his his worth, like uh, standing up to Goblin Nation people, like Vin Gonzalez, who uh, I always think about the moment after the party where Vin, you know, shows him his tattoo of the Goblin, and and Harry just decks him in the face. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good times. Very good times. Well, that's Harry Lyman now. <laughs> Which, for how much he says his name is Harry Lyman, me thinks he protests too much. Yeah, that's uh, true. I, I, and, and with the ending of ASM 25, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we saw Harry had something else up his sleeve. Um, I hope that's not the case, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, time will tell on that, sir. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, how about we talk about our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club? It's the friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. It's the club with the incredibly long winded name. Yeah, the friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Time for new members to give 15 minutes of fame. And maybe even win a prize. Mark, it's the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. That's our Patreon fan club that keeps our show going because wonderful people like you, our listeners, decide to give us some of your hard-earned money. And you get all kinds of prizes and all kinds of other awesome stuff uh, like uh, extended uh, uh, sequences from our interviews uh, that we didn't release to the public. Um, But yeah – If you want to help our show continue, please go check out our websites and click on the button that says, Mark, what does it say? It says Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. And uh, we have a new member this week uh, joining our club. Who is our new member, Mark? Well, it says here our new member is Brandon Murray. So, Brandon, thank you so much for uh, joining the club and, and showing your support for our show and, and keeping keeping our podcast humming along. Yeah, and uh, speaking of um, of moving forward, let's let's talk about we got a giveaway that I'm going to be doing over the next couple weeks, and it's a uh, it's a favorite of mine, uh, Mark. I was going to say, I think I think the only way. Anyone would take this book as if you gave it away, Dan. Oh, that's not true. That's not true. People love this book. Uh huh. What's What's the book, Dan? I'm going to be raffling off a copy of Spider Man Rain. Uh, just just make sure you know you wear an umbrella so you don't get hit by any radioactive sperm, Dan. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, there will be no radioactive sperm in the box that I ship it in. <laughs> Uh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. I mean, I can't for sure say that, but I feel pretty <laughs> confident about it. Radioactive sperm. All right. Spider-Man Rain, one of my favorite <laughs> Spider-Man books, and I would have included it on my essentials list if we hadn't already talked about it. Uh, but yes, Ugh. if you sign up for our club, you get entered into these like bi-weekly raffles, and you could win a copy of Spider-Man Rain. Um, which may or may not be a good thing, depending on who you are. <laughs> depending if you're on Team Dan or Team Mark. There you go. All right. Next week, I'll give away some annuals, maybe. There you go. I'll well, give away I... exactly the annuals you don't have, Mark. Okay. Well, then maybe I can win those annuals then. And then. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, come check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club and get in on the action of these awesome prizes and raffles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mark, 
Let's talk about some comments and emails. Spider, Well, Dan, I'm glad I'm glad we got away from Spider-Man Reign so then we could talk about some real important things like how you can get in touch with us on uh, this podcast, which is, uh, you know, first of all, we love it if you leave us comments and ratings on iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube and Google Play. Uh, that helps us grow as a community and we'll read your stuff on the air, even the bad ones. So if you want to just tell us what you think about us. Like even the bad stuff, you could do that, and we'll 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 say it on the air. Like it's like that, uh, the book I always read to my son, the book with no pictures. Are you familiar with this, Dan? I am familiar with this. Okay, you know, like I yeah, that whole book makes the adult say the silly, stupid things. So anyway, uh, but I'm I'm losing the narrative here. Uh, you could also email us at amazingspidertalk at gmail dot com. You can call us at nine red goblin. You can tweet at us and hashtag it okay to print. Uh, Dan, it looks like to start, we got a couple of uh, comments on the old uh, uh, iTunes, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. This one is from Green Shirt Steve. Very specific. Not a yellow shirt. Not a blue shirt. (laughs) Green shirt. There you go. And Steve writes, five out of five, just swing through the air, sit back and prepare. The best Spider-Man podcast out there. Way to go, Steve! Thanks for the Thanks, comment. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, uh, and and we got we got a letter, a letter, or is it an email? It's it's maybe both. Okay. Well, was it was it you know is it like our our president who doesn't actually send emails? He just like like scans PDFs of letters and emails them. Is, is that true? <laughs> yes. How interesting! All right. Yeah. Well, yes, this is an email actually from um, uh, Nathaniel. Blaylock, uh, who wrote in last time uh, a comment, and we asked him a number of questions. And let's see how we did, Mark, because we guessed at his age, and then I potentially criticized his collection. Okay. All right, so uh, Nathaniel writes, Just finished listening to the most recent episode of Amazing Spider Talk, and I appreciated your reading my review on the air. You were right on the age. I'll be 34 in June. Look at that, Mark. You were right. Boom. Uh, that's going to actually be a continuing uh, theme of these emails is that Mark is right. Uh, Woo! Uh, <laughs> he writes, uh, but wrong on the name. It's a long A in Blaylock, but close enough. Uh, after teaching high school for nearly 11 years, I botched many names and had mine botched in return, so no offense taken. Uh, I wanted to respond to your question regarding my collection and your ongoing feud over whether annuals count. I'm now down to 188 issues. I recently visited a local mini Comic Con that a retailer in the area hosted. However, I'm not counting annuals in that list, but admittedly going by Mark's take on what constitutes a full run. Nice. I I don't want to continue, Mark. No, I think you need to. Keep reading, Dan. Keep reading every word. All right. He says, uh, I think you've expertly thro- – I, I can't continue this, Mark. <laughs> no. I, you need to read this. I, 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 want, I want this to stick in your craw, buddy. All right. He says, I think you've expertly threaded a legal needle by noting that you're chasing the 700 issues that constitute the original run of Amazing Spider-Man, and I will follow suit in my count. 
However, I do f own a few annuals that I picked up because of significance to the story. Annual 5 or King Size Special Introducing Peter's Parents. And of course, Annual 21, both covers, because why not? See, he does have some love for the annuals, Mark. Yeah, I, I, I own those ones as well. All right. And he says, and who wouldn't want a copy of Annual Number 1? I definitely plan to add this to my collection if I can find a copy in decent shape for a decent price. I never look for nor can afford the pristine copies, but I also want one that's not falling apart. I'm in uh, the same block. I'm in the same boat as you, Nathaniel. I, I, I want an annual one and you know that I might consider the end of my expensive comic buying after that, but um, haven't found that copy yet. There you go. And he says, uh, uh, I'm curious as to what you think will come of the Superior Octopus Rift. Like Dan, I'm cautiously optimistic about Secret Empire, but still definitely event fatigued. Do you think that this status quo shift uh, will hold for the duration of the event? Or do you think we'll get this hybrid Octavius for a while? I'm guessing that um, he's referring to uh, Otto being like teamed up with Hydra. Do you think that that is kind of the future of the character? Eh. I think this will make its way through Secret Empire and then... They're gonna. I don't think the character is going away anytime soon, but I think they'll find new things for him to do after this story ends. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and not to make my stance on my feelings about annuals even worse, Mark, we get another email from Clint who asked us a simple question. Yeah, he was. But talking about annuals, did I miss your podcast about the ASM annual number one from 2016? Didn't we like just briefly touch upon it in a B book review? I think so, or we didn't even mention it at all, which doesn't give me a lot of credibility in my fight about annuals because that book was totally passable. Yes, not an essential, Dan. Not, not even close. An essential, not even close. It was a collection of like inventory stories that, I mean, I think probably the most inventory inventory story heavy book I've ever read. Which was the annual where, like, it was just Peter on a cell phone? That was it was, that one? I think it was 2015. Oh, God. Yeah. I liked that book uh, historically. I, I will go. I will say. Um, I think this new one was just garbage. How is your copy of ASM Annual 1, the Sinister Six one? It's actually a really nice looking copy. And you got that in Baltimore, I'm assuming? No, I actually got it, I think, out here in L.A., I saw a decent copy. It was probably like a good, very good version for about 200 bucks at a store in New York. I should have just bought it, and I didn't. Yeah, I got mine, I think, for like 80 bucks, and it's in better condition than I thought I would get for that price. So I jumped on it when I saw it. Yeah. Because that's a cool just, issue anyway. Yeah, no, it's a great issue. I actually – and this was I, – I spent – not a ton of money. I spent maybe ten bucks on this, but this is this is like what because I did dabble with the idea of oh, I'll just do the annuals to shut Dan up. And the, but I, I bought the reprint annual of that annual. I think that's annual six or something like that. That doesn't and kinda, count. And I was just like, well, I know it doesn't count as owning it, but I was like, this is. I, I just I, I I bought it. I spent like ten or fifteen bucks at it at a con, and I opened it up, and it's literally just page for page the whole thing and i'm like i literally like how is this how is this part of your collection it's a reprint dan it's a reprint with another number spacked on it 
It counts, Mark. Right. It uh-huh. just does. It just sure. does. Uh-huh. Do you, do, do you have the, um, what is it, the uh, the golden record version of ASM1? Does that count or whatever it's that called? That doesn't like, count. I have had that presented to me like a dozen times of people saying, look, it's a 9.6 of Amazing Spider-Man number one for 400 bucks or whatever. Do you want to buy it? And I'm like, uh, it is beautiful, but it's not the real deal. Oh, but right. But because, you know, Marvel cheaped out and put reprinted an entire book start to finish and made it annual six. That counts. Absolutely, Mark. And I don't have to defend myself. Go that away. number makes a difference. Go away. All right. I, I, I'm, <laughs> done with, I'm done with this. Let's get to the goodbyes. All right. Of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts. That's 153 of them. Mark, what is issue 153? Oh, um, that is, hold on. Oh, what is 153? It's a Len, oh, that's, oh, I love that one. That is, I believe that is the, uh, the long, the football one on the football field when he's got to save the little girl. Mark, it is absolutely amazing. That is the right one. You, you are two for two on this new quiz that I think I'm going to keep doing. All right. Well, the next one's going to be 154, so I just need to advance it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll keep it a little more uh, sporadic. Yeah, try to sporadic. Catch you there you go. Yeah, there you go. All right, so Mark, you are the man on, on these things. Um, yes, you can, you can check them out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and on YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a rating and comment. And let us know how we're doing, and we'll read it on the air. We're at 97 ratings or comments. Can we make it to 100? Um, and also, if you have any opinions on the comics we talked about today or any questions, please be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or call us at 9RedGoblin. Or you can tweet at us with OK to print, and we'll read all these things on the air. Man, there are so many ways to get in touch with us, Mark. I bet if you put smoke signals up, we would read that too. We, we, we would do it all. Um, but in addition to that, also be sure to check out our Facebook pages and to subscribe to our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, to keep up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales, which uh, thankfully that crossover is over. Did I say thankfully? That sounds mean. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that crossover. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it wasn't the worst thing. No, it wasn't the worst thing. It's It was better than... Some some ma- major stories we got in Amazing over the last few years, but not a great story on its own. Not much better. No. Uh, but Dan, speaking of actual great stories, we're going to be doing another Essential next week because we, it's still a couple of weeks until the next ASM comes out. And it's going to be your pick. What are we doing? What should our readers get jazzed up about? You know, it's it's so funny. I can't believe that we've never talked about this book on our podcast, especially given our, our the podcast history. Um, we're going to be talking about Superior Spider-Man number one. Uh, we've talked about 698. We've talked about 700. But we've never talked about Superior Spider-Man number one on this show um, in any kind of depth. So that's what we're going to be talking about for my next Essentials pick. That excites me, Dan. I'm super pumped about it. Mark, in the meanwhile, where can we find you on the internet? 
Uh, well, you can find me on superiorspiretalk.com and on chasingamazingblog.com. I had another post up, Dan. Did you know that? I bet you didn't. I actually did not. I'm going to read it uh, right now. All right. It's about ASM 64, which I was talking about me coming full circle, getting the second part of a arc from the very first Silver Age issue I ever bought. Which was ASM sixty three with the vulture on the cover. It, uh, this is the one with the vulture and that like grayed out background. Yes. Which is kind of like an homage to ASM two with the kind of like grayed out red background. Correct, I believe. Uh, great, great little you know, and it's got lots of teen drama in it with like Peter and Gwen and MJ's got a haircut. She got has a short haircut. I mean, you got. I read love it, the short MJ haircut. Yeah, I know, of course you do, because uh, you you you're basically marrying someone with the short MJ haircut. So I, basi- I basically like took that image and put it on my like uh, uh, you know like online dating and said like find me this match. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know where you're going with that comment at first. So I was like, what? <laughs> um, anyway, um, so um, check that out, of course. Uh, please, please pre-order my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, which you can find uh, through the publisher's website, triumphbooks.com, and uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble and uh, all major book retailers. Um, the, the the release date on that is June 1st, Dan. I actually was in touch with, my, uh, with the publisher this past week, and... The book is done. It has been sent to the printer. So this thing is happening. So it'll be in stores June 1, but I'm actually going to have copies in my hand probably in a month. So that's when I'm going to get my copy? Sure. I was going to wait till your wedding, but I guess I could give it to you earlier than that. Oh, no. You can, you can wait for my wedding. That'll be like my honeymoon. My, <laughs> <laughs> my wife will be in, like, you know, like dragging me out of these places. And I'll be like, excuse me. I bet you didn't know these hundred things about Spider-Man. Because I gotta personalize you a copy, Dan. That would be really awesome. I I would probably cry tears, real life tears. And you are you are in the acknowledgments for what it's worth. That's so touching. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm, spoiling, I hear, I'm I'm spoiling it for you. But and, and I hear Tom DeFalco gave me a nickname. Yes, you are. Um, oh, I believe I'm Dapper Dan of Austin. I believe you're Dapper Dan, and I'm I'm mischievous Mark. There you go. We have our official uh, Spider-Man yeah. names. Yeah, people should know that. The forward of this book was written very generously by Tom DeFalco, the legendary Tom DeFalco, uh, which just thrilled me beyond belief. So thank you again, Tom, for doing that. I, I apparently owe him, I believe, four copies was his payment. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, not, not to belabor this, but I... I I do want to say, Dan, that I've been getting some questions on Twitter and Facebook about people wanting um, autographs or, or personalizations. And I'm trying to work something out with the publisher right now where maybe we can like send in like there's like these little like adhesions that you go put on the inside page. So like if you buy a book, if you've already pre-ordered a book and you let me know that you want me to send you a personal note or something i can sign one of these things and mail it to you directly so like a book there'll plate. be a way to do it. what's that yes exactly book plates thank you dan he knows better than i do it is what i do for a living very very fair <laughs> <laughs> well cool mark i i can't wait honestly yeah. i'm gonna have to get yeah. a book plate myself uh yeah. 
No, I, I mean the, the the early support from from people must be pretty good because the 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 early pre-orders and you know sound pretty good according to the publisher. They're they're very happy with how things are going so far. So that's so great. Maybe we can do a like two hundred things book. Oh, there you go. The sequel. Um, we'll see. But anyway, so yes, <laughs> he says exhaustively. <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay, here's the chapter on Big Wheel. (laughs) (laughs) 200 things you didn't know about Big Wheel. Here are more essential stories. (laughs) Um, Let's finally do that that Marvel team up with with, uh, Havoc and uh, Thor and uh, the – oh, not the living brain. Um, The the, – oh, it's 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 a Claremont Byrne one that was originally on my essential short list that I was like I'm not talking about this story but now I will in that book the two hundred things. How many Marvel two in one references do you have in this new book of yours? Ooh, I actually I did do a whole chapter on Marvel team up, but okay. I did not do um I don't think I I don't think I mentioned the Thanos story. Mark. Well, no, that's... it's not an essential. If it didn't make your top 100 things you should know about Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, not for nothing. In the Spider-Man Avengers chapter that I wrote, I did talk about ASM Annual 3 far more than the Thanos 2-in-1 story. Oh, man, you are betraying your own choices. Well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a fun tangent. There you go. Anyway, uh, and of course, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMBlog. Dan! Where can we find you? He brought it home. Uh, yes, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. You can read all of our Spider-Man writing and stuff over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Please go check out that site. I know there's a lot of you that listen that have never checked out the website. We've got a lot of great stuff from a lot of great contributors over there who are doing great work day in and day out. I'd love it if you could go check out that site. You might even someday see Mark's end to our uh, <laughs> Darren Brock again series. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's really exciting. You know, Mark, we like to kind of have some friendly banter on, on this show from time to time, you know, and we yeah. have our playful, you know, jabs back and forth. But there was that time where I became very mentally ill and began uh-huh. began taunting you around New York City, uh, yeah. even threatening your loved ones, uh, which he was scary. But of course, now everything is fine, and and no one mentions that weird period of our lives. Uh, how did you get through this this tough time? Well, you know, it it, it would have been better if you didn't kill my uncle Ben, Dan. Well, that was just my my father killed your uncle Ben. No, no, no. You see, oh, you you really were mentally wiped out, weren't you, man? So let me explain to people what happened. So, um, you know, Dan went crazy and was like following me all around the city, taunting me and stuff like that. And, um, you know, Uncle Ben and I uh, were road tripping. We were going into beautiful New Jersey over the George Washington Bridge. And my memory uh, seems to recall that it was the Brooklyn Bridge. You see, you really are crazy because, you know, it, it was totally the George Washington Bridge it had that beautiful brick and the cable stayed and the American flag on top. That's the that's the George Washington Bridge, right? That sounds a lot like the Brooklyn Bridge, Mark. I think well, for sure that's the Brooklyn Bridge. 
oh, you're right. This wasn't you that killed my Uncle Ben. This was, oh, crap. No, yeah, we were driving up into the, the, the into, over the GW Bridge, and then we were in Jersey, and then we ended up in the Pine Barrens. And then the grizzly jumped out of the woods. The grizzly, you know, the, that really lame villain, completely, like, mauls my Uncle Ben. Like, I'm, like, running away. I, I you know, apparently, like, Uncle Ben... Tried surviving in the woods after getting mauled by a bear. He had maggots eat the 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 flesh off his back that was decaying and stuff like that. Um, I, you know, they were gonna make like a three hour movie about it. I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, something about the revenant. I don't know, but the problem was, you know, this isn't a movie, and even if that movie was based on a real person, Uncle Ben was not made like that, and. You know, if I wasn't too busy worried about you pumpkin bombing me, Dan, I might have gone back and saved my Uncle Ben after that mauling. So, in effect, you were responsible for killing my Uncle Ben. It's like six degrees of separation. I can't With great podcasts, (laughs) let's also come. Amazing Spider Talk. (laughs) 